Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Preachers can count on being critiqued. You know, and in some ways it's only fair that those who are, I guess, in front of the congregation, those who are upholding the word, upholding the standard, you know, preaching by its very nature uh, takes place in a public forum. Uh, and so go in public with your thoughts, with my thoughts, with God's thoughts. Uh, that's the ultimate goal, is God's thoughts. Uh, even when we are seeking to, you know, really exposit God's word, that's going to open us up to public response. You know, anytime you step out there, there's a target on your back. And that's just the nature of the beast. One of my instructors at the Memphis School of Preaching said, you know, those who receive the stricter judgment, uh, who are the teachers, he said, I probably believe that the stricter judgment does not come from God, but rather it comes from our brethren. Now, you and I cannot expect all the time only positive feedback. You've got to anticipate uh, some level of criticism. Whether you're serving as a shepherd or a deacon or preacher, a Bible class teacher, this brings us to another test, you know, really to our servant heart. How are we going to respond to the criticism that we receive as preachers, as ministers, as servants, teachers? How do we respond in those ways? Now, while it is painful, criticism can actually have and bring forth a a profit, you know, really, to, to preachers and teachers. You know, the, bru- the bruising can produce a blessing, that is, if we respond well. And the starting place for a healthy response to criticism involves developing a biblical view of correction. So that's kind of what today's podcast is about, a biblical view of correction. Correction emerges, you know, really as a major theme in the book of Proverbs. Uh, There's 31 of them. There's usually 31 days in a month. It's a good antidote to have one a day. Uh, Chapter 12 and verse 1 of Proverbs, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Chapter 15, verse 31, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. 26 and 12, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just sampling the goods at the end of the buffet table. But what this does is it highlights a very important truth. Correction is essential for wisdom and growth. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with man. That came with tact. That came with taste. You and I must also as well grow in the same ways. But conversely, those who reject, rebuke, really you're headed toward folly. You're headed toward destruction, and nobody's going to want to be around you, and you can't blame them. So while it is the case that correction is very rarely enjoyable, it it still must be embraced. And what is it about our hearts that some of us don't like correction? We don't like rebuke, even though we maybe do it. We'll find ways to interject, but, 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 you know, um, I wish they would only, you know, I wish they'd give me more com- compliments than, than uh than criticism, and it, this isn't necessarily uh, the podcast for that today. But, but what is it about our hearts where we don't re- we lo- we do not like to receive the correction? So, as I said, although it's rarely enjoyable, it must be embraced. You know, if you're if you're you know training to become a preacher, uh, if you're training to 
to to preach or you're 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 with your shepherds, you're with your teachers, you're maybe as a deacon or a Bible class teacher, you're learning how to do it more well. Critique is going to come from that. During my time at the Memphis School of Preaching, we got to preach a whole bunch in chapel. And every time we preached, there was an instructor there with his chart, and he was critiquing us. Uh, and he would do that in front of the whole class. That way the whole class could get the most fruit from that. Number one, it, it, it removes the pride that you may have uh, preaching the gospel as an individual. Not, not proud of the gospel, but proud of yourself. Uh, and then number two, it reproves and it corrects and, and it twists and it, it, it molds, if you will, uh, for the betterment. You can very easily turn people off uh, by the way that you communicate. And so critique is, is very welcome. It, it should be anyway. Maybe, maybe when you're preaching and teaching, maybe have somebody in the crowd that you trust. Maybe it is an associate worker, somebody who is one of your shepherds. Maybe, uh, maybe even your wife, if you're married. You've got a great ally in your marriage. Ask, ask them to, to, to consider two questions. Number one, what did I do well in this sermon? And number two, um, where would you encourage me to grow? And hopefully you have somebody like that amongst you. Maybe you record your lessons. I know today in 2021, because of COVID, we're, we're YouTube and social media is full. Have your friends, your brothers, fellow preachers, people that you trust, wise people, look at them and honestly give you a critique. You'll be surprised at the range of feedback. Sometimes you're saying things over and over. You don't even know it. Uh, so critique is always welcome. The biblical view of correction, because it is biblical, now, when people critique you, uh, probably there's three main categories in which they critique you. Number one, it's by content. And when somebody criticizes our content, they, they're reacting to what we said. The Apostle Paul received this kind of this criticism in Romans chapter 3 and verse 8, and he writes about being you know, really maligned for the content of his message. And he says, and why not do evil that good may come? And as some people you know, really slanderously charge us with saying, um, their condemnation is just, Paul was saying. Paul's critics falsely accused him of preaching a twisted message of grace. Whether intentionally or not, they misunderstood his message, and they responded with really unfounded criticism. And Paul wrote it off. He says their condemnation is just, and he just went on preaching, because not every hill is worth dying on. But sometimes, however, the critique of our content is justified. If you were to ask Apollos, you know, uh, sitting there in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, and although he was qualified and he was a capable preacher and he was learned, I mean, this is one of the, the, the most theologically sound guys and adequate guys that, that was around in the first century, yet he only knew the baptism done by John, which was the repentance baptism. And, and he did not know the baptism that had been commanded by Christ. Now, thankfully, two people, a husband-wife duo, uh, Batman and Robin, they pulled him aside, and they they ministered. They did Ascalon. They both taught with correction in mind, and, and they taught him the way of the Lord more accurately, Acts 18.26. Now, their correction sought to equip this man rather than embarrass him. So, correction must equip, not embarrass. Remember that. So, this... This was a great up-and-comer, but he needed to be equipped with the right, um, right content. So evidently, he received it, he moved on, and Luke tells us that after that, he began straight 
away, you know, set straight. Um, went on preaching with, with great effectiveness in Corinth, uh, verses 27 and 28 of Acts 18. Now, when our sermon content gets criticized, we must consider whether or not we actually, um, we were mistaken or just simply misunderstood. On one occasion, I had a PowerPoint uh, of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, and the picture of Jesus was a stained glass image, and the image portrayed Jesus as it was in the text, somebody who his hair glowed and his face shone as bright as the sun. So the image portrayed on the PowerPoint of the stained glass Jesus looked like a pale-faced, blonde-headed Jesus. <laughs> One sister um, came up and brought to my attention, you do know that Jesus was not blonde-headed and uh, white. <laughs> and... Um, and she happened to be a sister of color. And, of course, that was something that was um, a nerve close to her heart based off of things that had happened in her past. And, of course, I simply just opened the Bible and said, Sister, yes, absolutely, Jesus was a Jew. He looked not per se white uh, in any way, but the text shows him as that, and thus the picture of Jesus was at the transfiguration, and so that's why he appeared that way, completely misunderstood. Uh, when she saw white Jesus, all she saw was a misrepresentation of a biblical truth. She misunderstood me, and uh, so anyway, resolved and moved on. But we've got to strive for biblical accuracy and clarity in our sermons. So the way that we're critiqued, number one, is by content. Number two, communication. When somebody critiques, uh, you know, my and your communication, they assess how we spoke, not what we spoke, but how we spoke it. This focus shifts from what we say to what we to to the way we say it. So Paul faced this this kind of critique as well. He said in Second Corinthians ten and verse ten, for they say, quote, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So this kind of critique calls us to continual growth as effective communicators of truth. There is an art to preaching and teaching the gospel uh, and, and upholding the Word of God. There is an art to it. You can't get up aimlessly and ramble and just expect people to follow you and, and to swallow the thought that you have hook, line, and sinker. There has to be uh, an art to it. They're not, not showy, but there has to be a method. We learn a particular way, so it behooves us to always reach our... Um, our pew-friendly folks, uh, where they are. Lay the hay where the calf can eat, simply put. So while we cannot cater to everybody's taste when it comes to communication style, we should listen for patterns in this kind of feedback. When we hear the same critique repeated by different people, especially people that we love and trust, we've got to take it seriously. We've got to consider it. We've got to consider it carefully. So not only, uh, number one, content, number two, communication, but number three, character. When someone criticizes our character, the concern moves from what we said or how we said it to who we are. Now, this type of criticism ranks probably as the most painful at all because it is an attack on you per se. So once again, Paul, good old Paul, the fellow did a whole lot of enduring and not a whole lot of complaining. He faced this kind of blistering rebuke. He was on trial before the Roman governor, Felix, and a lawyer named Tertullus basically just lit into him. 
and directly attacked his character. And, and he, he said, For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. Acts 24 and verse 5. Most preachers that I know, <laughs> that you know, teachers, uh, have never been accused of stirring up riots. I trust, I trust. But, but many of us have had our character uh, maligned or talked about. And Paul's response to Tertullus shows that sometimes this kind of critique can be or, or maybe must be uh, countered and refuted. And, and if you want to read that whole transaction, Acts 24, 10 through 21. But, but remember, the, the Proverbs quoted uh, earlier warns us against quickly, I guess, writing off anyone who questions our character. If we become wise in our own eyes, we play the fool and we'll suffer for it. At Proverbs 26 and verse 12. Now, all of us can benefit from the refining fire that God allows to come our way in this form of criticism. So, criticism is absolutely biblical, and there are biblical ways to respond to criticism, but let's consider the source, if you will. Not all critiques are created equal. There's an old maxim, an old saying, about considering the source, and that applies to critics and criticism. Just as it helps me and you to evaluate the kind of criticism that we receive, content, communication, character, it, it's also wise to consider the source. Basically, here, here are four uh, common critics that you and I can experience as, as one who shepherds or one who preaches or one who teaches that we can expect to meet along the way. The first one is the, the good old anonymous critic. He shoots from the shadows or she shoots from the shadows. They place unsigned notes in the offering plate. They send letters. They put things under the door. Uh, there's no signature. There's no return address. So number one, there's anonymous. Number two, there's the analyst. And don't see them. they don't see themselves as critical. They just see themselves concerned about accuracy. And they delight in pointing out areas where a preacher misspoke. They rush up right after the sermon to tell the preacher that he gave them the wrong month uh, for the landing of the moon or whatever it was. You know, analysts are very picky and they are particular uh, and really they're tactless in their timing. The third one is the antagonist. This person means to be critical for reasons we may we may know, we may not know. Uh, they're hard-hearted. They're pruny people. Um, they had persimmon juice in their offering in their uh, in the Lord's Supper cup, not grape juice, and so they're bitter. Um, they're cynical. They they no longer give us the benefit of the doubt. They interpret our words in the most possible, the worst possible way. If they listen closely to our sermons, it's only to look for ammunition to shoot back at us. Now, these folks can break our hearts, bull our blood at the same time. The fourth person is the ally. The allies remain on our side even when they get on our case. Their words can hurt, but they are never meant to be hurtful. Proverbs 27 verse 6 speaks about allies when it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you're married, as I said earlier, your spouse should be your closest ally. So let's talk about responding to the conflict and the, and the correction. Maybe conflict's not the word. It could be con conflicting, but, but it's correction. Since everybody who stands up and tries to preach and tries to teach, they can expect criticism. All of us need to learn how to respond godly. God is not going to see you at the gates of heaven and say, you know what, 
that person was a jerk to you, you were justified in being a jerk back. No, we've got to respond in the holy way. We have to stay gracious. We've got to stay humble. We've got to be willing to listen to words of, repro- of reproof. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer does generally turn away wrath. Your demeanor, the way that you respond, the way that you look at them, maybe maybe they begin to walk up to you and you um, you know, quickly just bow your head and you know that something's coming and they're going to be ugly in some kind of way. The way that you respond will make or break the situation. I find it very helpful to remember that different types of critics call for different kinds of responses. So let's let's run through each of these categories um, and really suggest some constructive ways to respond to each of these things. Number one, anonymous. If somebody is unwilling to own up to his or her critique, uh, don't feel obligated to give it any weight. Um, in fact, you know, a scathing unsigned letter may be best remain unread, or maybe you give it to uh, somebody that you trust and, and you allow them to filter the criticism uh, and really distill, you know, uh, any valid comments. Because even a critique, there's something to learn in every critique, even if it's anonymous. If it tell, if you learn more about that person, if you if you learn more about what somebody's hurting with or whatever, there's always something to learn. So if it's anonymous. Maybe don't read it. Maybe just trash it or give it to somebody who, uh, somebody who who will be able to to filter through all the mess, if you will. Uh, the second one is the analyst. What I have found is that the analysts are normally, uh, generally, we might say, um, harmless, and they they want to help. And what they say often has validity, but their their comments can can also you know, really be relatively unimportant or, or poorly timed. Uh, if you said think instead of thunk, or you said thunk instead of think, and, and it had nothing to do with your message, you just misspoke, you know. If their input comes, you know, infrequently, um, wisdom would call us to graciously hear what they have to say, thank them, and move on. But if they start making comments on a very regular basis, what you need to do is set up gracious but very firm boundaries, really. I mean, the goal is not to punish them or to turn them into antagonists, but but to help them become more tactful in what they say and, and when they say it. You may say, you know, thank you for bringing that to my attention, but, but if we could meet on Tuesdays and we talk about these things, that'd be great. I'm out here in the foyer trying to greet people or help people, you know, that are hurting or whatever, and, and so let's just let's talk about this at another time. The third person is the antagonist. When we're dealing with um, the antagonist, don't don't try to go at it alone. This one, this is the kind of person that is best waved at from across the pond. What you need to do is you need to alert other people, uh, specifically more mature spiritually people, and uh, and bring them into the situation. Ask them for help. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the reasons God designed the church. You know, to be led by shepherds, a group of shepherds, a plurality of shepherds, is to guard against the the the, the ravening wolves, the fierce wolves. Acts twenty twenty eight and twenty nine. Uh, even if that's from the el- one of the, one elder, sometimes you have, may have one elder who is tr- trying his best to be an enemy. He's trying his best to be an antagonist. He's a miserable person. He may may have a miserable wife. He may be grieving over something. But it's wise to gather. Uh, plurality of spiritually mature people 
Um, elders and other wise allies can really help determine how to best respond to the antagonist. You know, seek resolution, but provide protection for you. And then the fourth person who brings correction is the ally. And when an ally speaks a word of correction, listen closely, respond gratefully. Wise preachers, teachers, shepherds, deacons, they identify the ally in the congregation. They invite them to offer constructive feedback on their preaching, their teaching, their work, however they're serving in whatever kind of way. That's that's wisdom. You want that person in your corner. They are in your corner. God bless those people in your corner. You, you've got to um, you've got to welcome that critique. So as as leaders, servants, preachers, shepherds, we we cannot avoid criticism, but instead of letting uh, this test, because that's what it is. It's a test on my and your heart. If we, instead of letting that test frustrate us, we can seek to understand it and profit from it. If we do, we'll not only become better preachers and shepherds and deacons, but we will become better people, Christians as well.